Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Before we pop our corks, can I ask you a huge favour? If you don't already follow us, would you hit the follow button and give us a follow? You see the three little dots at the top right hand of your screen? Just tap that, hit the follow show tab. It's the first on the drop down menu. And ta-da, that means two things. One, you're never going to miss an episode. And two, it really does help us to bring you the very best guests there are out there. Speaking of which, on with the show. And welcome to a special New Year edition of White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. And this week, we're taking a little look back at some of the incredible guests I've managed to raise a glass with throughout 2022 to relive some of the brilliant moments that fell out of those conversations. In recent months, we've covered everything from same-sex surrogacy, menopause, epic marriage proposals, grief... And who can forget Christopher Biggins reliving his experience of having a whitey after smoking pot in California for a TV show. So you're in for a treat with this collection, which all share a theme. Let's call it When Stars Collide. Think of it as a verbal buffet of phenomenal anecdotes shared between our celebrity guests that feature other big stars. And when I say big, I'm talking George Clooney, George Michael, Kenneth Branagh, Katy Perry, and this next guy, the Yoda of show business, Sir Elton John. Here's MasterChef finalist and McFly maestro Danny Jones talking about the night he ended up with a last-minute invitation to have dinner with him. The most bizarre dinner I've ever had, but incredible at the same time. 
was we were recording over in Atlanta with Dallas Austin. Dallas Austin, wow. Yeah. Just explain who Dallas Austin is, right? Well, yeah, Dallas, so we, Dallas Austin is one of the most legendary producers, producers of all time. Um, he's known for TLC. TLC, Pink. Sugar Babes. Pink, uh, Pink, he told me an amazing story about Pink. She, she slept and begged him. She slept outside his studio for like three days straight and begged him to produce her album. Wow. And he ended up doing it, and that was her first album. Yeah. Yeah, so amazing, amazing stuff. And and we were trying to get on radio at the time and play the radio game and be like, how do we how do we get on radio? Because at the minute there's no there's not one guitar on radio, you know. So we're trying to play that we're trying to be clever about it. Anyway, cut a long story short, we had the most amazing experience. Like so you're in Atlanta at Dallas's studios or its house or at his studio. Right, which and is like I would imagine bougie. Incredible. Just like the most awesome place to hang out, you know. Incredible paintings, discs everywhere, like so inspiring. And literally in the first couple of days of meeting him, and I always remember his laugh. He's, <laughs> he's got his laugh like this. <laughs> and he starts laughing. I'm like, Dallas, what are you laughing at, man? Like He's on his phone laughing. And I'm like, Dallas, what are you laughing at, man? Like, And he found us hilarious, especially my accent. <laughs> laughed at me straight away. And uh, he goes, um, <laughs> uh, you want to go to dinner with El and John? And I went, what? He went, yeah, El, El and John wants to go to dinner. Do you want to go to dinner? And we're like, yeah, yeah, when? He's like, now. <laughs> we're like, mate, we're just about to like write a song and record. He's like, yeah, but we're going to have, that, going to have a dinner with El and John. All right, cool. So we went to this place, met El and John, had dinner. Um, and it was this amazing steak I had, blah, blah, blah. And we got talking. And it's a very quick dinner. But what was amazing, so he goes... Oh, McFly, yeah, yeah, I know you guys, you're doing great things. And at the time, Lady Gaga was becoming big, and I remember talking to him about Lady Gaga. And then he goes to us, do you want to come over to um, mine on on, the, on Friday, I think it was, or Saturday, and, and have dinner? And we were like, yeah, yeah okay. He's got a this big is, place in Atlanta, this is right? Al, this is Alan John, yeah. yeah. So we were like, yeah, okay. So me and the boys like, mate, we just got invited to Alan John's apartment <laughs> in Atlanta for dinner. What the? You know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, we got like two days we're like right what are you gonna wear what are you gonna wear what are we doing you know what I mean all this stuff we were so nervous honestly so nervous it's one of those dinners where you know like you're just neck in wine because you don't know what to do <laughs> so we said we go there we turn up and um, we go get up get up to um, Elton John's uh, apartment and he answers the door in his um, most unbelievable Adidas tracksuit like full on matching and he just takes us for a tour instantly takes us for a tour around his apartment and all of his collections and his artwork is incredible. It's like a museum. It's incredible. And then we sit down to this on this, you know, unbelievable, like, round, white, awesome Michelin star style kind of table. And there's waiters and, and a chef and that. And we're drinking wine. We're chatting music. There's people that I've never met before in my life that are multi-award winning songwriters and business owners and all this and i'm just having the best time ever so when you mix that energy with food and music oh. and that experience of like but there's elton john and i'm eating it's just it's mad like music can take you to some mad places and that's one of the you know places where i was like this but is you've crazy. got all the ingredients for the perfect night there right yeah so it, it's about food almost being just kind of a part and parcel of the experience isn't it absolutely yeah like i was always a fussy eater as a kid and i think like traveling and moments like that where i'm just pressured into trying something like i'm not going to say no i don't like like i don't know the starter of prawns or whatever at elton john i'm just going to eat it because you just do 
cushy I don't want him to go, oh, you don't like him? Okay, you're not coming again. You know what I mean? <laughs> Get out if you don't like prawns, you know what I mean? So I was like, oh, I'll just have it. I'll just eat it. And suddenly I'm like, whoa, what are these? The most amazing prawns, prawns. I've ever had. Yeah, garlic prawns. Come Bringing on. your mum. Mum, I've had prawns. <laughs> yeah, mum, I've had prawns. Never had pizza until I went down to London. No. How mad is that? And now look at you, master I know. chef. I mean, I've learned a lot, yeah. Have you? Elton is clearly a legendary host, but he's also a legendary gift giver. As Blue found out when they had a chance to record with him, here's Duncan James and Anthony Costa. For me, uh, do you know, I know we talk about it a lot, but um, working with Elton, I think for me was such a huge thing because I started off my career at 18 years old as a male vocalist for a holiday site called Haven Holidays. Did you? I was a Haven mate, yeah. Do you know what, that's a brilliant training ground. Did it for Amazing. two years. So I started off in a little site in West Bay in Bridport, and then I moved up to Harcourt Sands in the Isle of Wight and then Mill Ride in Portsmouth. And because I was like the singer, I was booked as this this singer of the of the Haven Mates. I didn't have to do all the, the shitty jobs. I got you didn't to do have to like, do all the jollying and the, the no, kids along. I got and... to do a bit more cooler stuff. But but one of my jobs was to run the karaoke nights. And you know, you've got to have a couple of songs in your arsenal because you're gonna be able to get up and sing karaoke songs so one of my songs that I always sing was Elton John your song so going from being 18 year old red coat effectively singing your song to the to the to the punters at the holiday camp to actually then fast forward four years later to be actually singing with Elton John it's only four years later yeah having a number one hit with him around the world that for me was I can't believe this is happening going from singing his stuff in a karaoke and then actually That's going sing, mental, singing with him and being in a music. That, for me, was like... Yeah, when you see yourself. your name on the same call sheet for the video and you're like, me and Sir Elton John. No, it's so <laughs> Wow. Weird. And it, what a lovely story is, he bought us all a little uh, Theo Fennell. Uh, was it Theo Fennell? Theo Fennell gold necklace. Gold necklace, which my mum, bless her, she... And a letter, he wrote a little letter to us all with our names on saying, thanks for doing the song. It means a lot. Love, Elton. And uh, my mum framed it for me as a Christmas present. She put the, his, his letter in a framed... Um, box thing with the gold necklace and it's still hanging up in my in my hallway Aww. and it was so lovely it's such a lovely memory he's a do you know what he's a very nice man Elton John he's a but lovely man all his man. screaming and hissy fits and I've I've seen those firsthand and they're bloody brilliant I think that he's a brilliant supporter of new talent he is. he's great in a crisis and he sweeps in and he nurses people back to 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 good mental health when they're having a hard time. And you hear a lot of, of yeah. those stories across the years. And he's done so much for the LGBTQ plus community, yeah. for his AIDS foundation. I mean, you just think about the actual work that he's done. I mean, he lived during the 80s when the AIDS crisis was massive and he's gone out there as, as a pop star, as somebody who's made a career for himself and done something about it and helped so many people and so many lives. And for me, you know, being a gay man, I just take my hat off to him for everything that he's done in his career and for me getting an opportunity to work with him firsthand doing a song with him was just probably my biggest, happiest moment ever I that I will that. take to the grave. Mm -hmm. 
Martin Kemp was so good when he came on the show last year. We put out two episodes with him because his conversation was heaving with so many golden moments from his six decades in the business. Here's just one of them. I love this. There's a brilliant anecdote that you share in the book where you'd gone round to Georgia. So you've got Shirley in the car. You've just moved out of home. You and Shirley are like the sensible people from the blitz scene. You've got a flat. Uh, nobody else has. George is a megastar, but still living with his, his mum, right? right? his mum and dad, yeah. And he'd gone around to drop a jacket off to him or something. And as she dropped it, the jacket off, he said, come in, come in, I've just written something. What, what was the song that he... Oh, it was Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. Well, he went up, he said, come upstairs, I'll play it to you. And there was a strange moment because when... When he said that, I thought, why didn't you play it to me the night before when we were around there, right? Because I'd left my jacket around there. And, and I thought, is he embarrassed about it or something? And so, so I go upstairs and he puts it on he, and I play it and I say all the right things. I say, yeah, a great record, really nice. Love that. It's going to be huge. And I go back downstairs to the car and I, and I see Shirley waiting there and I look at her and I say, career's over. It's all done. <laughs> done and dusted. You better find something else, Shirley. It's terrible. <laughs> And it, I really couldn't see you it. You thought he'd, he'd, he'd it up, you, basically. I thought he'd blown it. Yeah. yeah. With Wake Me Up Before You Go Go. But listen, it, it, I'm really pleased that was wrong. <laughs> no, not just for him, but for Shirley as well. It's not just Martin Kemp that gets it wrong sometimes. Step forward, Scott Mills, a man known for his brilliant wind-ups during his tenure at Radio 1. But there was one time when one of his pranks backfired terribly and reduced poor Katy Perry to tears. We did this thing called You Control Katy Perry and it was kind of like, it was before Instagram and before Twitter. I think you could, I think you could like message in on a forum or something. So the idea was like, it's me and Katy Perry at the height of her fame in a white box in London, right? And it's like, the listeners control what she does. So do we do painting? Do we play a silly game? Do we do whatever, whatever, whatever? And um, and someone suggested, why don't you get a Russell Brand impersonator? And I was like, that's actually a good idea. Someone had suggested that before we did it, a couple of weeks before. So we got this guy from Leicester who, I'll be honest with you, didn't look much like Russell Brand on the Lookalikes website. He turns up on the day, like, hello, I'm here for the Katy Perry thing. He looks exactly like Russell Brand. Oh. Um, now, I will caveat this by saying, I think that there were things... Like, she was married to actual Russell Brand at the time. But I think that, that they, they weren't having a good time, which obviously we didn't know. So, no, absolutely misjudged. No. We send in Russell Brand from Leicester... And she's like halfway through, I don't know, graffitiing the wall, the white wall. And she turns around and she's like, oh, my God. And she does think it's him. And then she ran off and cried. Oh, you. And I was like, we have massively messed this up. Because I think she did think for a split second it was him. And you don't know what's going on in someone's life. Maybe they were having troubles or who knows. No. Anyway, so that didn't go well at all. And I remember going, God, we've still got half an hour of the broadcast to go. And she's in the room, like, going, I'm not going back out there. I'm not going back out there. I'm not going back out there. And I literally had to go in there and go, I'm so sorry. We've misjudged this so much. And I'm really, I'm so sorry. And she went, it's okay. You just better play my fucking records forever. (laughs) I love her. But I was stressed. I mean, that, that 
is leverage, right? If only she realized you had me <laughs> yeah. over the playlist, but there we oh, are. But that uh, was... Yeah, but, but ballsy, yeah, I that, like that. That took oh years off my life. Scott, you must have been absolutely uh, crapping yourself. In that one of the point. worst. One of the worst. If not the worst. Yes. But yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking about who else sits above her that you would not want to piss off at that point in her career. Beyonce. That's about it. Yeah, that was about it. Maybe Rihanna. <laughs> Maybe Rihanna. <laughs> who is amazing also. Do you remember, <laughs> uh, like, when I've interviewed her several times, she's always, like, five hours late and... I was on. I was live on air on Radio One. I was like, "Rihanna's coming up. Rihanna's coming up. Rihanna's coming up." And she actually, this is like the early days of Twitter. She actually replied to me. I put, "Rihanna's coming up on the show." I tweeted that out, and she put, "Be there soon," <laughs> and replied. <laughs> uh, she, it was two hours later, but you know, she she, um, she she got there. And the thing is with Rihanna, when she does arrive, she is incredible. So it was worth the wait. She, is she good? I've not, I've not had the pleasure. Oh, one of the best, yeah. Katy Perry, Rihanna, Mariah Carey. Those are my top three, I think. When we had steps on the show last year, the drinks were flowing and so were the stories. Like this one from Faye, who told us about the moment she met her idol, Cindy Lauper, at her home where she was staying with her to work as a songwriter. I got dropped off at her house um, in the secret location and um, knocked on the door. The taxi drove away and I was like, that Christ, to my right place because it looks like I could be murdered here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I knocked on the door and I heard these like big dogs. Whoa, 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 whoa. And then the door opens and I was like, oh, I look like a stalker because I had the same colour hair as her and blue hair at the time. I um, and then we spent um, a, a week um, and I, I oh, it was incredible. I stayed in, in a room um, upstairs, one of her spare rooms, and the net curtains were like dolls' dresses, sheer dolls' dresses. It wow. was just beautiful. And the fireplace was like two people high. It was enormous. And her um, and we went downstairs into the basement and started playing some of the demos to just talk about what I'd written before and to sort of mix stars and just talk about that. We had a massive heart to heart. I ended up bawling my eyes out, which is really embarrassing. And then she was just, just because it was so emotional, the whole thing, it was a really big moment. Yeah, it's really it's very cool. there. yeah. I mean, yeah, my, one of my absolute idols. And then she like taught me her singing lesson, like really? what she um, exercises. She, she did a panel and she like um, elongated her tongue to stretch her tongue. Because um, I, I, I think it's a lesser known fact that she actually lost her voice and she had to learn to speak. Wow. at some point in her life um and then when we were recording because she was trying to um like release the stress out of me because i was really really i think overwhelmed with the situation she brought my belt out of me she was like she'd push me in like by the swimming pool make me do star jumps and then run back into the studio and just go ah like this and it was just it was the strangest thing <laughs> I've ever experienced. I was like, where are the cameras? Exactly. And then she said she wanted to do spirit dancing. So we opened the little picket fence gate thing, went into the woods with a ghetto blaster. And she was like, this like tribally music on, and she wanted just to spirit dance. Just you and her. Yeah. And then Art and Dare came out. <laughs> 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When Louis Walsh put Westlife together back in the day, it was thanks to a huge lie he told Simon Cowell that Shane Phelan should be forever grateful. So I'm trying to sell Westlife and I'm doing kind of showcases in the pod in Dublin, putting them on, getting the guy into the record, and nearly all the labels in. So I called Rob Stringer and I said, Rob, you missed out on Boyzone, don't miss out on this. And I said, Simon Cowell wants them, but I want you to have a listen to them. He said, OK, I'll fly over. And he flew over a few days later and he did the gig in the pod, right? And, uh, but, you know, it's I, an I Irish that, nightclub, right, which is where you used to showcase your bands. It was the best nightclub. And so Rob comes in, he sees the boys, they do the five songs, we meet and greet, do the whole thing, da-da-da-da-da. So then the driver takes him to the airport, right? <laughs> the driver takes him to the airport. I know the driver. So I say... What did, he, what did he think? What did he say? He said, oh, they're just another boy band. He just another boy band. He called the guy and he said, no, I came to Dumbledore. They're not with just another boy. So every time I see Rob Stringers, just another boy band. They sold 50 million records. That's the true story. And that's what Dublin is like. And be careful of drivers. Don't say anything in front of them because they always tell us back. True story. Another true story around uh, the formation of Westlife was the fact that, yes, you did have Simon Cowell very interested. And I remember you calling me going, he's in, he's in. I think he's in, I think he's in. But he took umbrage to one of of the boys. I think it was Kian, wasn't it? And he said he's got to go. No, Shane. Shane. Shane, right? He came to Dublin. I had six guys originally. And three. So he told me, he said, darling, they're okay. You need to change four of them. Change four of them and I'll come back and look at them. I changed three of them. I couldn't change four of them because they were all like friends. And like that. So I got rid of the three that I thought didn't have it. And I said, Shane, he didn't like you. So I said, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to change your look. So we did. We dyed his hair blonde. He was blonde. <laughs> Seriously, I had auditions. I found Mark. No, I found Nicky and remember Brian McFadden? He was in yes. Westland. I found Brian McFadden. And so Simon came back in. They were only three minutes in, in, into the set. He said, I'm signing them. This is amazing. I loved them. Blah, blah, blah. We signed them. We had hits. And a few weeks later, he said to me, 
where did you find the little blonde guy? He's really great. I said, Simon, that's Shane who you said no to. You know, he says, no. I said, it's Shane. We dyed his hair blonde. You didn't know. You were wrong. So we laughed. He wasn't always right, but he was brilliant to work with. Up next, Strictly's real-life husband and wife team, Jeanette and Aliash. They take us back to the Strictly dance floor for their final ever dance. And who better to play them out than one of the world's most successful singers? Before I dive into three questions for you, I wanted to ask about a moment that I, I sort of got lost in uh, when I started putting this show together, your last dance together on Strictly. It was the most beautiful swan song. And I just wondered if it was as special to you as it looked to me as you two put a full stop on your time on the dance floor at Strictly. Oh, wow. I mean, it was the Ed Sheeran performance mm. um, that we did in the final last year. And we only had one. Day. Yeah, I should mention that Ed Sheeran was actually like your your singer. <laughs> yeah, he was he was our backing singer. Oh no no. <laughs> no. Oh, no 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 not at all. Actually, it was. Um, we can talk about it now because obviously it's all out. But before we actually filmed uh, the performance, we spoke with Ed uh, just before, and he said, you know, I heard that this could possibly be one of your last times dancing together on Strictly and Ali Ash and I both kind of our eyes opened up really big and we thought how did he know I mean because we were still kind of like I wasn't a hundred percent sure if Ali Ash was going to leave or not but it was more like 80 20 that he was going to go um but then and turned around and said I just want to say thank you for letting me be a part of such a special moment for the two of you and our jaws just dropped because we, we thought you're Ed Sheeran are you joking <laughs> like Thank you for being a part of this. <laughs> and, um, and we only have one take uh, because he had to get back and he had the baby in the studio. So he just had one chance to do it, which meant we had to get it spot on in the one one try. And I mean, the nerves were all time high. I, we had tears in our eyes and we just thought we've got to control this because we have to nail it in one go. But you know what? I think this, the beauty of what we do as dancers is exactly that. You know, when you really let yourself go and just be in that moment and just connect with someone, especially someone that you love so much, like your husband, um, it, it just all kind of came together and it was magical. It, this is the only word I can use to describe that moment for us on the dance floor. And once it finished, there were more tears, I think, than even before <laughs> when we did it. And uh, Ed was so supportive and the whole team were so supportive. And, you know, the, the, I think there was lots of tears because a lot of people knew at that point that that was going to be our last one. And um, so we were very, very grateful to the whole team for letting us do that because it was really, really special. I mean, to say goodbye and to say goodbye with Ed Sheeran was just, you know, really, really special. Yeah. But, but the fact that you had to nail it in one take because he's got his baby in the studio and he's got to get off and he's Ed Sheeran. I mean, yeah. no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> I mean, it, it just makes it even better, really, because it's all about being in the moment anyway. And when you have that little bit of extra pressure put on you, I, I think that just makes, just puts it all sort of uh, in, a, in a beautiful, nervous situation that then ends up being amazing. It's one of those dances that when you watch it back, and both of us are a bit of a per perfectionist, and it's one of those performances that we both enjoy watching back over and over and over again, because we feel that it came a came through pretty, pretty well. When with most of the others, when you watch them, you have like one or two moments when you go, oh, I wish I pointed that toe or I wish I turned a little bit better. 
or look to Jeanette a little bit more, but that one came came through lovely. Oh, no, it, honestly, it is a moment to lose yourself in, and I would implore anybody uh, after this podcast to go and Google it. Jump on YouTube, fall down a rabbit hole, you'll love it. With a glass of wine. With a glass of wine. With a glass of wine, always. Always with a glass of wine, Elias, it's the law. A few months ago, we did a live show in London with Lisa Snowden. It was brilliant. She was fantastic, and so were the cocktails, which were the order of the night and the conversation. So, martini, anyone? It's definitely a little party pickup, isn't it? Isn't that like one oh of your favourite things to do after dinner? You're like, oh, should we have an espresso martini? Yeah. And you get really... You have a dance. Yeah. That's what that then makes you think, oh, go out. You feel a bit <laughs> naughty. You're like, oh, let's get a little giddy. Now, a martini is actually quite a seminal drink for you because, um, well, it's more than a cocktail. Uh, what should have been another campaign? So by this point, you'd been the hot girl in the lift in the Lynx advert. <laughs> been, I remember you so well in the Special K advert because you just looked great in I it. I did about four different Special K adverts. Yeah, you always... They kept coming back and I was like, oh, this is good. This is good. They helped me buy my house. It was great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a great way to start the day. <laughs> Keep them coming, Special K. Yeah. But then, so this really, this, this audition for a martini advert should have just been, really, like oh. any other job. But then, obviously, when you signed on you realised that George, that George Clooney was the face of. So I ne- didn't nearly go to the audition because it was like they yeah. came in late on a Friday night and my agent was like, you've got to go. This is a really big job. There's an actor called George Clooney. And my, my mum was like, oh, George Clooney. Like, <laughs> she's watched him on ER. She lo- I, I can't do hospital shows. So anything like that freaks me out. So I sort of heard of him, seen him in like... But she was like, you have to go for this commercial audition. So I just went along and it was Friday evening and I just had to sort of go, George, no martini, no party and shut the door and do this like little acting thing. And they called back like literally Monday morning and said, you've got the job. And I was like, no call back. I just got the job. And I was like, must have been desperate. (laughs) But I got it, and then I flew to Barcelona for this commercial. So you hadn't, obviously, you know, you just auditioned didn't have in to London. Do, I didn't have to meet him or no, do a chemistry test or anything like that. It was just, they just wanted a girl <laughs> at a party, just generic girl at a party, and he was coming in. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was quite exciting. Is it true that the take that they ended up going with... <laughs> you do what she does her research so well, doesn't she? Is it, well, I don't know if it's true <laughs> or not, so... Um, but... Is it true that the take they ended up going with was... So you'd shot lots and lots of versions, but actually they just put him there for one of them and it was actually him and you went, George! It's and they were like, let's print that, let's go Well, with because that. he's so famous, they didn't want him to be there all day. So it was just, you know, the camera's there and I'm opening the door. So How many times did you open that door, Lise? I opened the door about 20 times. <laughs> and they had a stand-in for him, like... I think his name was Fernando, like lovely Spanish boy, <laughs> Fernando. And I'd open the door and he'd be there and I'd go, George. And it was Fernando. And he'd go, and I'd say, no martini. And he'd go, I'd say, no party. And I slammed the door in his face and we did that, right? Right, got that. And again, right, action. And I did that a few times. <laughs> and then, unbeknownst to me, they, George had slipped in to come and see the filming and he came up and he stood um, on set and he said, let me just take that. And he got, he got in front of the door and I opened the door and I went, and it was him. You went, I was George! Like, I went, George! <laughs> and I just thought, I'll go with it. And I went, no martini? And he was like, 
And I went, no party. And I just shut the door. And that's the one they used. It was the one. I mean, I'm a terrible actress. That's how terrible I am. No, that's how bad I am that they actually needed to get in. Real George Clooney, <laughs> not Fernando. Yeah. It's, it's not. I wasn't no. quite cutting it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's the one. That's the one they did it. But so, so this ad became something of a fork in the road in your life, right? It was a job like any other until it wasn't. It took you places that you would never... I mean, you became known the world over because obviously, you know, unlucky Fernando, George was the one that you decided to keep in touch with. <laughs> Fernando didn't even give me his number. Well, snooze you lose, mate. Snooze you lose. This next yarn has it all. Welsh comedian, actor and singer Rob Brydon is invited to perform at a stadium in Wales where, at the invitation of Coldplay, he is to perform the Welsh National Anthem. It all starts with an email from Chris Martin and ends in what could have been a living nightmare. Twice now I've sung with Coldplay. Um, Once was at a Christmas benefit at the O2 and I was going there to do some stand-up and then I got a, call, a message, or Chris would, I'd never met him, I don't think I had, anyway. Chris wants to say hi in his dressing room. So I went to the dressing room, which was, you know, full of drapes and candles, as you would expect. And I mean, <laughs> it, it, was a, it was a fire waiting to happen. Um, and he said, because it was Christmas, he said, do you want to come up and do a, a Christmas song with me? And I said, well, yeah, okay. So I ended up at the O2, going up onto the thrust of the stage, you know, where just his little piano comes up on its own. And I think we'd had the briefest of rehearsals. And I, I didn't do it very well, not mock modesty, I genuinely didn't. Um, it's on YouTube if people want to judge for themselves. Um, anyway, we, we did that. But the better time was then some years later, uh, Coldplay were playing uh, at the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. <clears throat> and we'd already bought tickets my family and my best friend's family who lives in Cardiff, we were all going to go. And I was in my dressing room at uh, Would I Lie to You one day, and I got an email from Chris saying, would you like to come out at the end of the show and sing the Welsh National Anthem? And um, now, I don't speak Welsh. I know some of the Welsh National Anthem. I I, I don't know it all. It's a shameful admission. And um, so I wrote by saying, oh, sorry, Chris, I don't know. And then I said to my wife, oh, Chris Martin, you know, and, and I said, and she said, what? You said, no, what are you doing? And he said, and then Chris said, oh, well, don't worry, we'll have it. It'll be on a screen and everything, you know. So I said, oh, OK. So then we had the most incredible um, experience of, of driving down there and before the show, meeting up with him, who by now I had met a few times. And we, me and my wife and my best mate and his wife have dinner with Chris in his kind of room. And he was, as you know, as lovely and as positive That's and as beacon of energy and positivity and all this stuff. And we sat there and ate ate very, very healthy dinner. Then I went off into a room with him and the, the rest of the band and we messed around and went through the song once and diddly dee. And then we go, and then he has to go and get ready for the show. And then 
we go and sit down. Now, only one of my kids, I got five kids, only one of them knew that I was going to sing with him. So for the rest, it was a surprise. And they'd said, what we'll do is we'll come and get you towards the end of the show. So at some point I see the person coming to us and uh, I said, oh, I was going to go to the loo. So off I went. And then uh, this is a ludicrously long story, Kate. You can oh, I love it. it as, as, as you wish. Um, I, so I get taken all around the stadium, underneath the stage, of course, and I get given these things I'm wearing now, these in-ear monitors, which I'm not very familiar with. And these give you a feed of your voice and a feed of the band, as opposed to a wedge monitor, which is traditionally, when you look at, you know this, I'm telling this for the listener, uh, yeah. when you see people in the 70s on the stage and so on. Anyway, uh, I, can you hear the band? Yes. Can you hear yourself? Yes. Marvellous. That's good. I'm a little bit nervous because I'm, I'm out of my comfort zone. I think there were 76,000 people there, um, give, or, give or take a dozen. So we get to the bit and he, I can hear him on stage and he says, now we've got a surprise for you. And they go, Ray, uh, we've got someone coming out and he's got, he's, thinking he's got the most amazing voice. I thought, well, okay. He said, in fact, this guy's the best voice in the world. I thought, steady on. And he said, and he's Welsh. So now, obviously, everybody is hoping and praying that it's Tom Jones. Of course, it's so, got to be Tom. <laughs> got to be Tom Jones. So I'm thinking, oh, Chris, for God's sake, rein it in. Um, and, but th then he said, in fact, he's not just one voice. I think he said he's a Swiss army knife of voices. I thought, oh, well, okay, that's a bit more like nice. I like that. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, it's Rob Brydon. Now, in my ears, I had a feed of me and the band, but I didn't have a feed of the room or the stadium. So oh, in my ears, yeah. it sounded like he'd said, ladies and Rob Bryden, and it was met with tumbleweed and silence. So I have to walk out onto the stage exuding confidence while thinking, oh my God, they hate me. And I'm smiling at Chris. And it was amazing, and yeah, and we sang it, and uh, and and all was well. Giovanna Fletcher made a welcome return to the show last year, and we took a stroll down memory lane to the night she was called up as an understudy in one of her first jobs out of drama school. The challenge was to step into the leading lady's shoes. The leading lady was Andrea Riseborough. The leading men in the scene, oh, no pressure, just Kenneth Branagh and Tom Hiddleston. So I was in a show called Ivanov um, at the Wyndham. So it was a Donmar season, like a huge West End season. I wasn't long out of drama school. Um, Kenneth Branagh was the lead. Tom Hiddleston was in it. Andrea Riseborough. Uh, so I was understudying. Wait, like, she's Andrea. really casual about that. Did you just hear those names? Yeah. <laughs> she's just out of drama school. <laughs> I've got to say, I love it at the moment because my kids are really into Marvel. So when they see Loki, I'm like, look at this picture of me and Loki right here. Be good. Oh, he's coming. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we were doing this and I was understudying the female lead and um, we were a long way into the run actually I'd had my understudy run thankfully a few weeks before I'd been on stage that night I'd done my the first chunk of my of my part um, and I was back in my dressing room so just in case people don't know an understudy will probably have a smaller role within the play but also be prepped to go at any given time to yeah. step in to, to those major lead, leading lady shoes and yep. this is what happened so I was in my dressing room doing my Sudoku 
And um, there was a knock at the door, and it was Howard, the company manager, and he's like, um, Giovanna, where's your Sasha costume? And I was like, it's right there. He's like, great. All of a sudden, the door completely opens. The whole of the wardrobe department file in. Um, they're like, we're getting you ready because Andrea doesn't feel very well, so we're just, she, you, she'll probably be fine, but we're just going to get you ready. Three minutes until she's due to go back on stage. Um, then they get a little announcement over there. They get, you know, someone contacts them on the walkie-talkie, says, don't worry, she's fine, she's going to go on, but still keep getting G ready. Great. And um, literally 10 to 15 seconds before Andrea is due to hit the stage, there's an announcement over the tannoy. Could Miss Falcone please come to the stage immediately? Miss Falcone to the stage immediately. Literally, I ran down to the, ran down to the stage. Every, all the doors were open where everyone in the theatre was just like, oh, come on. <laughs> Got to the side of stage as the queue light was going green for me to walk on. On stage, you have Kenneth Branagh and Tom Hiddleston. Um, I'll reenact it. So, Tom's over here, Ken's here. Very heated exchange. Tom Hiddleston has tears in his eyes. Right, I walk in over here. Tom says that the first thing he sees is just Andrea, because he's got tears in his eyes, he can't see. And he was like, as the tears started lowering, he sees Andriana, then Giovanna. And he's like, what on earth is going on? Ken says that all he saw is his eyes, he just saw Tom's eyes getting wider and wider and wider. <laughs> so he had to turn around to see what was going on. And his first line was, Sasha, what are you doing here? <laughs> but we literally had 10 seconds where we just looked at each other and went, oh, what are we doing? And, but thankfully, because of that first line, the audience all went, okay, she's Sasha. we get it. But it's so funny because Tom was on, um, Tom, uh, Ken was on uh, Rob Brydon's podcast, podcast. Which is where I heard this story. Talking about it because I'd just won um, uh, the castle. And, um, and his version of events, though, bear in mind, I literally, I had messaged everyone that night, like my version of it. And his version was that my clothes didn't fit, that someone, that I just literally stayed over there because someone was still holding my skirt up. <laughs> That didn't happen at all. He was very lovely about it. He said it. that you came on and you hadn't had time to dress properly, so the stage manager was <laughs> holding, pinning with, it, with their bare hands your, your clothes together whilst you stood there quite stiffly because your clothes could have fallen off, but that you didn't drop a beat in terms of dialogue and that you were quite remarkable. Do you know what? The adrenaline, though, just took me through that night. The next <laughs> night, next day, I found out at midday that I was going on again. Um, but then the whole week that I was finding out, at 25 past seven that I was going to be going on that night because Andrea was poorly but still wanting to push through and get on but um, she was being told that she just wasn't very well yeah. and thankfully the last Saturday so our final two shows um, Ken just kind of took a stand and was like we all need to know we need to know and G needs to know because she's either going to go on and do her part or she's going on as Sasha and we all know where we stand um, and I went on for the final two shows which was amazing. But can I just point out that to this day so Kenneth Branagh has made I mean you can uh, there's not enough fingers on my hands to count the, the amazing films that he's, yeah. he's made, all the productions that he's been in. And he still remembers that moment with you because you make such a phenomenal impression wherever you go, Jay. So Aww. congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> very sweet. Can you imagine what it's like to spend decades working in the West End as a star of many a musical, desperate to get a break to be seen for a movie in Hollywood? And then it happens. Finally, at the age of 30, you get your first audition and you land the role. It's a huge movie, Clash of the Titans. Well, that's exactly what happened to movie star Luke Evans. And on his first day on set, his first scene featured his on-screen father and on-screen uncle, Liam Neeson and Ralph Fiennes. 
Wow. What about the roles that have taught you the most? The sets that were the, the greatest um, classrooms? Well, I think um, the one I always remember, it was the first set I was ever on, which was um, Clash of the Titans. I'll just put it in context. I'd never stepped foot on a film set. I'd never stepped foot on a television set. I had never done a television advert. All I knew was this stage of 30 foot by 20, 30 foot back facing an audience. So I turned up on that day and I had hair extensions down to my waist. I was put in 24 karat gold plated armor. So I couldn't really walk properly. I looked fantastic on the set. <laughs> But still, it was a lot. It was a lot. And, I, and, I, and I'd never stepped foot on a film set in my life. And my first scene was with Liam Neeson playing my dad, Zeus, and Ray Fiennes playing my uncle, Hades. Oh, my God, I'm panicking for you. Uh, can you imagine? Yes. And I had to just blag my way through it and make them think that I'd been doing this. Because nobody questions you. They just, maybe they don't know who you are. They just assume you've been doing this your whole life. No, I'd never. It was like first day of college. Like, I was like... Oh, my God, like watching and learning. And that day was a day I'll never forget with these two incredible actors, you know, and I'm there, little Luke from, from musical theatre, now pretending to be a film actor in gold armour and long locks, you know, and, and that's how it was. And I remember having a conversation with Liam that, uh, that lunchtime when we were, we couldn't sit down. The armour wouldn't allow us to sit down. <laughs> so we had these leaning boards... So you'd, you'd start and you'd just lean back. You'd just be leaning like this. So, so Liam, Hollywood. So Hollywood. So we have these leaning boards. And me and Liam just standing with all our locks and his beard. And he's like, so uh, what's your story, Luke? And I'm like, oh, I'm from this. I'm Welsh. He's like, oh, fantastic. And then I said, any advice for a young actor who's just starting out? He said, uh, remember this. He said, you won't appreciate it now, but he said, you'll remember this later on in your career, is that the only power you have as, an, as a performer, as an artist, is to say no. Because sometimes when you say no, you allow yourself to be available. And sometimes when you, when, when you have said yes, the control is out of your hands. You've said yes, and you are part of the journey. And you're on that train, and it ain't going to stop until it gets to the station. Yeah. And, but the only control and power you have as an actor is to say no. And sometimes saying no allows you to say yes to something further on that you don't know about right now, which will change your life or change your career. And he was absolutely right. So what did you say no to that became an opportunity in disguise? There was, the, um, there was a few moments in my life where I've said no to something and, um, and it worked out. But the one that's really ironic is I had signed to do a movie. Uh, I was going to play a psychopath in a, in a movie called No One Lives. Bit of a spoiler alert there. Um, and uh, <laughs> I... Uh, I got a call after 18 months prior to this moment, I had auditioned for The Hobbit and I hadn't got any response. I forgot about it. They'd actually started shooting at that point and then they got, to the, they got a few months before they were going to start filming Bard the Bowman and so they were going through audition tapes and sure enough, after 18 months, they'd come across my audition tape. The agent then called me and said, they want you to fly to New Zealand. Peter wants to audition you, screen test you. And I went... But tomorrow morning I'm flying to New Orleans to do this low-budget, independent, psychopath movie. And I couldn't get out of it. And so I had to say no. And you said no I to had the to, Hobbit. But I had to. I had no choice. I couldn't get on a plane and go to New Zealand. I was signed to do this movie and I had to say no. Oh and I, so I got on that plane that morning 
thinking that was my moment. That was my moment. And it's gone. Because I have to say no. I couldn't say no. I couldn't say yes. I just had to say no. And anyway, got off the plane the next uh, 12 hours later in New Orleans. My phone came on. And uh, they said, Peter liked you so much that he's going to give you the job from your audition tape you did two years ago. No. Yeah, yeah. So I went from this low-budget, blood-fest, psychotic, murdering film on a plane, not home, but from New Orleans to New Zealand. And then I stayed there for a year. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it's not the exact Liam Neeson story, but there was a no that turned into a yes. And, yes. you know, there's moments like that in your career where you just got to just go with your instinct and also go with whatever you have to do and accept the, the, the inevitable outcome, you know. Yeah. Only sweat <laughs> about the stuff that you can control the outcome of. Yeah, wow, exactly that, right. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, thank God your audition <laughs> tape was that good. I mean, I'd love to see it. It's probably shit. What a year 2022 was with so many great guests. We laughed, we cried, we gasped, we welled up and we talked and talked and talked and talked some more. And we're planning to do more of the same this year. So thank you to you as always for listening. And don't forget, you can hear all the full episodes of each of this week's guests, plus other 2022 icons, including Richard and Judy, Fern Britton, Hugh Fernley Whittingstall, Al Murray and Kate Ferdinand by just strolling through our back catalogue at your leisure. White Wine Question Time is produced by me, Kate Thornton, with Maria Nibs and the Yahoo Studios team. Editing is by Eleanor Humphrey, and our music comes courtesy of Andy Bell. I'll be back next Friday. Until then, thanks for listening. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners or odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm.